ora koutou, I'm Teresa Cowie and welcome to this week's Insight. Competitive video gaming, or what's known as eSports, is now becoming a global industry. And while visions of champs who train sitting on a beanbag tapping at a games console might not hit the usual definition of serious sport, it's gaining some validation from those who decide what deserves to be called a real sport. The International Olympic Committee is eyeing it up as a potential for the Games, and here at home, taxpayer-funded body Sport New Zealand is deciding whether to officially recognise e-sport. In this programme, I'll take a look at the fledgling but growing industry in New Zealand, and who needs who more when it comes to e-sports and traditional sports. Competitive gaming is now filling auditoriums like this, not just in the home of esports, Korea, but now America and Europe too. They've stolen it from the clutches of defeat. That is disgusting. Esports has a global audience of 191 million people, and it's growing fast. By 2020, it's expected to be 286 million watching and playing. But gaming tournaments are nothing new. In the 80s, gaming whiz kids jiggling joysticks slaughtered aliens from the comfort of their swivelly chairs at Space Invaders competitions around the world. The New Zealand esports industry is now trying to find its place somewhere in between Space Invaders showdowns at the local fish and chip shop and auditoriums filled with thousands of spectators. In Auckland, an esports television studio, recently installed in the Sky Tower, is where local players compete to be the best in the country. The tournaments are broadcast on Sky Sport, the usual home of audiences looking for the blood, sweat and cheers of traditional sport. Tonight, 31-year-old Christchurch postman and former competitive ballroom dancer Robert Northway is at the wheel of a console playing car racing game Project Cars 2. He's up against seven others competing for a prize pool of $10,000 and the title of New Zealand champ. To keep himself in tip-top condition to compete, he goes to the gym. And his working week is now down to four days so he can train more. Basically each week I do a bit of, bit of practice as much as I can, um, doing just doing hot laps and stuff and then some practice races, um, just just getting, getting some seat time, getting some laps and yeah, just getting as much practice as I can. Hours wise, how much would you be dedicating? Um, anywhere between 6 to 15 odd hours a week I'd say. Uh, hoping to get that $3,000 a second now. Duan Mutu is a co-founder and director of esports production company Let's Play Live. So Let's Play Live is a media company that specialises in esports. So we are a league organiser and a tournament organiser for esports. We put on um, big events for players to get involved with and, and play our video games right through the highest level. And we're also a broadcaster, so we uh, put our broadcast out onto Twitch or uh, social media platforms like Facebook. But we also do broadcasts on linear TV. So we're also um, on Sky TV a majority of the time during the weeks and looking to expand into other markets. And then we're also... While many media companies 
companies are struggling, that's not the case for his firm, as it tries to meet demand and make the most of New Zealanders' growing interest in e-sports. We have um, about 12, 13 full-time staff right now, and that started you know, a couple of years ago. There was sort of uh, two or three of us, so we've expanded pretty quickly. Um, but we also have 13 people, which we'd call casual, but they come in because they're specialists at different video games. So when we do League of Legends, we bring in another five people. And, and um, like tonight, we're looking at a particular game, and we bring in expert talent in the form of commentary and presenters, but also the people behind the scenes that, that really know. So um, we're probably close to um, 30 staff, all said and done. So, uh, you know, we've expanded quickly and we're getting bigger all the time. Internationally, those wanting to play at the elite level are forging a career path, with colleges in the United States offering eSports scholarships and famous football and basketball teams hiring eSports teams who wear their jerseys and represent them in the virtual world. And as the industry grows, for some New Zealanders, eSports has become a full-time profession. But at the moment, the only way to really have a shot at making it big is to head overseas. We play in the OPL, which is Oceanic Pro League. as eight teams in a league and we play every week. And then at the end of ten weeks, there's like a playoff tournament to see which team goes to the World Championships at the end of the year. So that's what we're playing for. That's New Zealander and League of Legends champ Ari Green Young. The 18-year-old professional player lives in a dedicated gaming house in Sydney, Australia, where he eats, sleeps and breathes the strategy game. He lives and trains in the same suburban house as the four other players on his team, Tectonic, which incidentally has the same owner as the production company Let's Play Live. No problem. And he says living and training together is intense. We wake up probably around nine and we make breakfast and do all that. And then we have practice from 11 till 2, which is where we play three practice games against another team as five of us. And then we, we like in between the games, we talk about them, like what went wrong, what went right and kind of fix those issues. And then we have a short break, and then there'll be another set of practice, normally from like 3.30 to 6.30. And so then we play another three games against the team, and then, again, review those, and then we make dinner. And then for the rest of the night, it's sort of your own time, but most people just practice anyway because there's not really too much else to do. And it's not just the players finding they can make a career out of the sport. New Zealander Jonathan Weatherly is the team's head coach. I used to do competitive trampolining and uh, my first job was a trampoline coach at my club. And when I was playing a lot of video games in uh, intermediate high school and at university, I got kind of good at League of Legends and I started um, annoying my friends because I was telling them how to play the game and they didn't want to hear about it. So I decided to find a, another outlet, I guess, for that energy. So I started offering free coaching. After completing a psychology degree, he decided to turn his eSports coaching into a career. While he's catching the wave of a booming industry now, he's unsure about what the future might hold. And he says it's not all fun and games. The industry is, right now, it's kind of like working at a startup, And that's not just for this team. That's like everyone in the industry, basically, probably in most of the world, would feel like that. It's just there's a lot of kind of... People who are still learning how to run businesses, who are having to make decisions around, you know, how how your career works and stuff that 
um, there's a lot of inexperience basically, and a lot of stuff doesn't really happen the way it might in a in a bigger, more established you know company or corporation. So it can be a bit frustrating sometimes dealing with with people who are who are still learning how to do that. But at the same time, it is incredibly fun when you know when we get to just do the video game thing and. So I'd like to see how far I can take it. And really that's what League of Legends comes down to a lot of the time. It is a numbers game. Matt Ross, known as Smite, is an esports shoutcaster. That's a match commentator in traditional sport. He's another of the young crowd determined to forge a career in esports. So how did he make his hobby pay? A lot of volunteer work. Um, I ran a lot of my own leagues. In fact, I started my own esports club at Otago University. Uh, just so that I could commentate as much as I possibly could. And so I did that a lot for free, and eventually people started paying me for it, and now I'm here. Kitted out in his headset, commentating at the Project Cars 2 champs in Auckland, he feels a bit more certainty there will be good opportunities for him as the industry grows. Well, the future for my career, it's funny because I always thought I would have to move out of New Zealand to continue this career, and I don't feel like that's the case at all anymore. I feel like... Uh, New Zealand's esports industry is growing enough that plenty of people can start looking at getting a career in the space. So what made you change your mind about that? Well, I mean, it was more that I'd always wanted to stay in New Zealand. I just never thought it was possible. And then Let's Play Live uh, ran the NZGC a few years ago in 2016, and I was invited up to commentate that, and uh, eventually when I got this position... I could live off esports, and if I can live off esports, then I'm a really happy guy. And while Matt Ross's job as a commentator has almost direct crossover from the commentating heard in traditional sports, there are new roles that have sprung up with the esports industry. Uh, he's going in the big house. I'm going to try battle him. Amy Potter is a streamer. To her online audience, she's known by the alias Hello Miss Potter. Being a streamer, so how does that work? So I'm the only one playing the game. Um, it's kind of a bit more like if you watched a radio show. So if you were watching someone on the radio, they're just the ones that are doing the talking, but you kind of sit in the audience and you can have a bit of a chat. Um, it's more about participating in the game for the community by talking about what the streamer is doing than it is for the community to actually be playing the game themselves. So people are watching you play and they are commenting live as you play. Correct, yes. What? <laughs> I know, it seems a bit crazy, and I, I think it definitely seems a bit crazy when you've not seen anyone do it before, or it's something that's very new, but it's a really strong community feeling, like a, a really fun thing to do, and as someone, like, I grew up as an early child, and I kind of spent a lot of time gaming by myself, and when I started live streaming and having a group of other people there to participate in those gaming experiences, like, with me, that was pretty awesome. The whole fam damnly's here. Chewani with the sub! Amy Potter broadcasts her games on Twitch TV. It's an online channel which boasts 660 million viewers. Compare that with online streaming giant Netflix, which has 125 million signed-up subscribers. Twitch TV is a bit like YouTube, but for live video gaming. It's like if YouTube was live and it had a live chat function right beside it. So people can watch what you're doing, so I broadcast my face as well as my gameplay and then there's a live chat right beside it, kind of like comments on Facebook where people are, are discussing what I'm doing with me at the same time. Okay, and so that, that must be one way then, because you're busy playing the game. 
Well, that's kind of a bit of the knack, really, and that's what makes a good streamer, is if you're able to concentrate on what you're doing in the game and also participate, because the community in the chat is actually a massive part of the whole thing, and if you fail at either parts of, the, of that the job, then you're not a very good live streamer. And you have to be good at the game, I take it? Absolutely not, no. There, there certainly are gamers who... Um, or live streamers who are very, very good gamers and that their brands and personalities are built around their skill and how great they are at the game. But I am by no means an expert at gaming. I kind of dive into... I'm, called, I'm what's called a variety streamer, so I dive into whatever is new that week or something that takes my fancy or I might play a New Zealand-developed game or something that takes my interest and it's more just like exploring interesting titles with my community. And how did you get into streaming? That's a really good question. I don't, I don't really remember. I mean, Twitch has been around for a few years now. I didn't start streaming until 2014, so I've been streaming for, I guess, close to four years now on and off. I really only started streaming somewhat consistency in, 20, in 2016. So why did I start? I think I just thought it would be really fun to play games and have someone to talk to while I was playing. I, it feels kind of less alone and kind of... Sometimes I feel like playing games by myself, but sometimes I feel like sharing that experience with someone, and if there's no one around, then why not talk to the internet? Playing is very passive. Like traditional sports, watching others play is a massive part of the esports industry. And not just the sort where you're eagerly sitting beside another player, waiting for your own turn on the console, but watching for the pleasure of, well, just watching. So what's in it for the spectator? It's the excitement to follow a person that plays a game really well and see them perform well in front of a live audience, which means there are no cheats. It's basically all or nothing in that particular moment. It's pretty much like a soccer game. You've got a really good team. You basically know that the players are great. And if they have a really good day, they will succeed. That's Jan Cruz. He's a senior lecturer at AUT in Auckland. He teaches game design and visual effects. He's preparing his students for a promising industry and says a big part of that is making games that will grab the attention of not just the players, but, importantly, the spectator. The more entertainment there is in the actual game and um, in the way players pursue their goals within the game, uh, the more you're likely to end up as an eSport. From the point of view of, of your students uh, trying to develop games in the future that are entertaining, what would they be looking for? What would they need to do to make their games appeal to not just the players but the wider audience watching? Well, I think if you um, draw a parallel, uh, Formula One, for instance, could be one of those. You're essentially watching someone drive a car around a circuit and you're not experiencing the physical uh, impact on your body yourself. You're not running the car you don't have any say in what's been done how the strategy is played and so on and you can adapt that basically to uh, any game as well and that kind of drives what students might want to look at when developing a game you need to provide something that allows for strategic play within a team you need to look for something that allows for different camera angles so that um, uh, viewers have something interesting to see Games need to take that into consideration. And then finally, I think games also need to emphasize team spirit and team play, um, interaction between players and so on, so that there is actually an entertainment component to it and not just a person playing a game against the computer. Can he find the shot on Fallen Fast Enough? Exactly. What a shot! 
With tens of millions of people worldwide watching and playing games, big business is taking notice. Here in New Zealand, the casino operator Sky City Entertainment Group is getting in early on the local scene. It's bought a 40% stake in Let's Play Live, the production company that broadcasts tournaments from the Sky Tower. In New Zealand, two-thirds of people play video games, and perhaps unsurprisingly, three-quarters of those are aged 18 to 34. Sky City's chief marketing officer, Liza McNally, says that's why it wants in. It's a way for us to engage with a uh, younger and different audience than we might traditionally, and it's really about providing avenues and opportunities for young New Zealanders to participate in a growing sport like this and through our streaming channels, through the broadcast partnerships we have here in New Zealand already and through the studio itself. It, it provides a lot of opportunities for young up-and-coming gamers and also those behind the scenes in the esports industry. If esports is officially recognised as a sport by the governing body Sport New Zealand, it will then be legal to take bets on competitive video gaming. Liza McNally says that's not the focus for Sky City because, as with all sports betting in New Zealand, only the TAB would be able to take bets. She says Sky City's eyeing up the other huge opportunities that esports offers. Certainly our initial foray is about getting in early. It's really in its infancy in New Zealand. We're starting to see particular growth in Australia with live events and overseas we're seeing well-publicised events with in excess of 100,000 people turning up to live events to watch um, esports tournaments. So still early stages in this market, but it's something that we see huge potential for New Zealand and also Sky City. Those trying to build an industry here say for it to really grow, the focus has to be on improving the players. One way to do that would be gaining better recognition of it as a real sport. The ultimate seal of approval would come if it was made an Olympic sport. And it's not entirely out of the question that one day the E-Blacks, yes, that really is our national team, might make it into the coveted sporting tournament. Last year, the International Olympic Committee agreed that competitive e-sports could be considered a sporting activity because, it says, players prepare and train with an intensity comparable to athletes in traditional sports. But it's still up for discussion because the committee is hesitant about violent video games infringing on Olympic values and whether the right regulation is in place to avoid issues around gambling and cheating. So does eSports belong in the Olympics? Ben Lenehan, the president of the New Zealand eSports Federation, says yes. And he thinks a lot of the arguments against it being a real Olympic sport don't stand up to reason. A lot of the things that these guys are doing on the screen, they make look very easy, like a lot of athletes do. But actually what they're doing requires a great deal of training. It requires um, really good hand-eye coordination and a lot of the time really, really fast reaction times. So a lot of these guys are done by 2021 because they actually just get too slow. Um, it shows you that there is a physical element to it. It definitely becomes more difficult as you get older. And I guess it's as much as, I would say, it's as much a sport as shooting or archery. But obviously no one would ever say that those athletes aren't very focused and, and have put in a huge amount of time to be as good as they are. They're as much sports as, as those other 
sports that use machines. Ben Lenehan says eSports' focus on mental sharpness and hand-eye coordination presents opportunities where gender or disability could be an obstacle to Olympic success. From the gaming community, one of the things that's really liked is that the physical aspect is removed and so people who perhaps are physically disadvantaged no longer have that. It is, it is a levelling of the playing field. There won't be that factor of having to separate men and women because at the end of the day the physicality isn't, isn't an issue. And for people with disabilities, I mean we're seeing people with disabilities participating in esports, um, a lot of them have a real competitive streak but they've never, you know, perhaps haven't been able to use it because of their disability. So what do the gamers themselves think of it being a potential Olympic sport? To be perfectly honest, I don't really want it to be part of the Olympics. I feel, you know, we don't have to be part of the Olympics to be validated as anything in general. And that's the same thing for the argument about it being a sport, you know. Does it matter if it's a sport? You know, I'm just... 16 year old who just likes playing games every now and then and if I get to make a bit of money out of it you know cool my gut instinct would be to say no I'm not yeah I don't really think of esports as an Olympic sport I don't think it needs to be an Olympic sport and I believe in the philosophy that you know Olympic sports really should be around exercising you know strength flexibility it should really be something that stands on its own Most of the players I spoke with felt that competitive gaming is already massive, and if anything, the Olympics needs eSports more than eSports needs the Olympics. The eSports Federation's Ben Lenehan argues that if the whole of the industry is to grow in New Zealand, there needs to be better pathways from local clubs to elite leagues. And recognition from the Olympics and Sport New Zealand would help make that possible. But when it comes to Sport New Zealand, Recognition is only one part of the equation. It's not so much about recognition, it's about being approved for funding. So that's really, which which really is hand hand in hand, they're really the same thing. But technically what we do is we apply to get approved for funding. Uh, I presented with uh, Dwan Mutu from um, Let's Play Live last week at the Sport NZ Connections conference. And that was really great. We got a really great feedback from, from the audience. We got a lot of questions. Um, a lot of interest so we're building on that relationship and we had a lot of positive feedback from um, the Sports NZ people so we're really looking forward to their support Um, we're putting in our application very shortly but we do need to be around for three years so we we will our three years will be up March next year so the letters in the post to Sport New Zealand Given the taxpayer-funded body is charged with increasing participation in sport and backing players to win medals on the world stage, I asked Sport New Zealand Chief Executive Peter Miskimmon if eSports stands a chance of meeting that criteria. I'm trying to be open-minded about it. I'm trying to see it as an opportunity. I think with new technology it's very easy for older people to to shut down and see it as a problem and a threat. I think what we have to do is it, it is a social phenomenon in front of us right now. Young children are enjoying it and it's growing immensely. How might we work with the industry and take it as an opportunity to ensure that we're getting more people engaged in positive things to have the value of that and actually making our lives better as a result. And ultimately that's what we're trying to do here at Sport New Zealand. So I'm keeping an open mind, a cautious open mind, but I've got an open mind about this. For parents who struggle to get their children off the screen and onto the field, Peter Miskimmon's open-mindedness might come as a surprise. 
We are constantly challenged over generations responding to trends and, and growing awareness of the market of activity. So if you just said to me five, ten years ago, was skateboarding a sport? Um, there'd be a lot of people saying, no, it's not. And yet now it's at the Olympic Games. And I think we're in that phenomenon with eSports, where, again, we have to be responsive to what's happening in the marketplace. So if you asked uh, my grandfather whether eSports is a sport, he'd say, I don't even understand what it is. If you ask my children, they'd say, yeah, it's fantastic. So I think it's in that context we have to uh, look at and review eSports. That it is something that your young generation are flocking to. They are captivated by it and they are enjoying it. What we're more interested in is are people playing online and then are they playing in the real world? Uh, and so uh, working with uh, eSports uh, and, and other organisations involved, we're actually really interested to in know what this means for children and, and long term what does it mean to their habits of being active for life. So what does that mean? Because often these games are just played at home, in your bedroom or in your living room. So how does that fit in with trying to get people to participate in sport? Yeah, well, I think uh, it's, a, it's a challenging question and we're just trying to find it out because it's so new. But there does seem a sense that, um, that people that do eSports are not active. Well, if I use my, my children as an example, they both play online uh, and then they'll go out and play uh, in the field or they play their own sports. So I don't think it's binary. It's not you do one or the other. Like it or not, some young New Zealanders are putting in the hard yards, training and trying to make a career out of video gaming. Pro gamer Ari Green-Young says he could have done with some backup from a funding body like Sport New Zealand. Yeah, I think when you, you first get started, it's pretty rough. Like when it's really top heavy, I would say. There's like a lot of money once you're like become a professional, but below that and like amateur tournaments and just like when you're an amateur player trying to become professional, there's really almost no money at all. So I think that's like quite an important area where people could be helped. But he says it should be mostly up to the industry to pave a way for players. Peter Miskimmon agrees. He says even if Sport New Zealand decides to officially recognise e-gaming as a sport, it won't necessarily offer funding because there's plenty of money in the industry to develop players. This is a very commercially driven situation at the moment and I think there's a lot of money involved in the competition side of this and again I think it's up to the industry to look after its players just as it would be for rugby or for football or whatever. What we're more interested in is, is mass participation and so I don't think we need to get any attract any more kids to wanting to be uh, online themselves. Our challenge is taking the online world into, into the physical environment that we're in and making sure they get the real benefits from that. That's the opportunities in front of us. No time to waste. For now, players and those in the industry will be left to fight on for sponsorship deals and recognition from overseas to get them through. That programme was written and presented by me, Teresa Cowie, with technical production from Phil Benj. If you'd like to discover some other great listening from Insight, you can head to our page at rnz.co.nz forward slash insight or go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, with the UK having recently appointed a Minister of Loneliness, Sally Round takes a look at what can be done in New Zealand to address the problem, which will likely balloon as the population ages. That's all from Insight today. Join us again next week. <laughs>